Good morning, big family. Uh, my name is Jared Parsons. I am one of the teaching pastors here, and it's my job this morning to continue the story of my life uh, series about conversion stories. When you when you read the book of Acts, uh, all all these headings say conversion of this, conversion of that, conversion of this person, and so we're taking a look at what is it, what does that mean? What what is conversion? And something that's become very clear over the time is that. While yes, uh, conversion has a destination that is the same, the method is so different. And uh, we're seeing just how personalized uh, these stories are to, to, the, to the people uh, that God is reaching out to. And so um, I, I've, I've greatly enjoyed that. And it's my privilege to bring to you the, the conversion of Saul uh, for the first eight to 12 chapters, kind of a a middle ground. The main character of the book of Acts is Peter, Peter the Apostle. And uh, there's a couple of cameos by uh, great guest stars, Stephen and Philip uh, make appearances, but Peter's been the one kind of leading the charge here. And uh, in chapter eight, we, we get introduced to this guy, this name, Saul, and now in chapter nine, we're, we're going to see Jesus calling Saul to himself. And so I'm really excited about this. Um, he becomes the, the main character for the rest of the book. Uh, a lot of amazing things happen through Saul's life. And so it's an honor and a privilege to talk about Saul uh, this morning. So we'll be in Acts 9. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll, we'll get going. And kind of the, the, the roadmap for the day is... We'll look at the person of Saul. We'll see uh, what prompted his conversion. Uh, what was the point? What, when, when was that time in which he said, I am no longer serving this and, I, and I'm serving Jesus. I'm, I'm serving Christ. And, uh, and then finally, what was the product? Like what, what happened? What, what did Saul become? because of it. And so that's where we're going this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you um, for this time that we get to look at at your servant, Saul, uh, who had become Paul and uh, all the writings, the the amazing theology, the testimony, the stories that we get, Jesus. And so um, we pray that from this, you would be glorified um, through this time this morning and that we would see your, your good character in your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, the person, Saul, we're, we're going to pick it up in, in Acts 9, 1 and 2. Um, I'll, I'll read those, those verses. Uh, but Saul, still, we'll get there for in a second, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, capital W, way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What an introduction. Saul still breathing threats and murder. I, I find, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I find it's funny. Those, those are two, like two different things. Threats and murder. There's like threats and then there's murder. And he's breathing it. Like this is just inhaling, exhaling murder. Saul was breathing murder and, and uh, he wasn't just doing it on command. He was actually asking that to do this. He, he was asking, can I, can I please bring people bound to Jerusalem? So the first thing that we see here from this passage is that Saul was a murderous zealot. He was a murderous zealot. 
let's break this down into its component parts. Saul was a murderer. There's no, there's no reason, there's no need to sugarcoat it or like kind of work around it. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. Regularly, he's shown to be approving executions before this. Uh, actually, our, the, the first introduction we get to Saul, I'll read that, Acts 8. It's right after Stephen was killed for taking care of widows and orphans who weren't Jewish. Uh, and, and Acts 1.8 says this, and Saul approved of his execution. He approved of it. It goes on to say, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered all through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And we get Saul again. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul was a murderer. He when it says he approved of the execution, uh, that, that means that whenever there was a stoning that was going to happen, which is where someone would be killed by stones or a large stone, uh, they wouldn't, they would do this with the permission of uh, a high ranking official, the highest ranking official they had on hand. And Saul was there. So he, he has a, he has a position, he has a vote, his approval matters, and he would use it for execution. And he was thorough in, in this, right? He went from he, house to house. He wasn't lazy about this. He was a murderer. Saul actually says so later on when he gets renamed, Paul, spoilers, he gets renamed Paul. Uh, later on, this is his own testimony in Acts 26. This is his, the opening defense. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Let's not sugarcoat it. He wanted to trap people in blasphemy. He had a raging fury against them. He often cast his vote against them to put them to death. That's Saul. What an opening, right? Here's, here's this character who was a murderer. Why did he do it? Why, why was it, he, he says, I was convinced that I was supposed to do this, that I was supposed to do this against people who believed in Jesus. He looked forward to it, right? He, he actually asked for permission to, he was like that kid in class that, you know, like the quiz, we're not sure if the quiz is tomorrow, but he's like, can I please do it? Can we please have a quiz? I want to do more homework. I want to, I want to murder more people. Can I please? Why did he do that? Why, why was he like this? Secondly, is that he was a zealot. So in uh, Saul's, Saul gives a, a few testimonies in, in other books. Um, and in one, Philippians 3, um, is one of his most famous testimonies. Uh, Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the, in the flesh also. He's, he's talking about, he's kind of bragging uh, about how awesome he used to be. This, this is his brag. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh and who, he, who they are, their personhood, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's, that's a huge brag for, for anyone who is of a Jewish descent. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, that was kind of a, a badge of honor. I'm from Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So for, for Saul, there was a scale of zeal, right? Like as to zeal, I was a persecutor. Some are like kind of zealous. They like do normal stuff. But I was, I was so zealous. I persecuted those who believed in Jesus. He, he, he wore this as like, like when, when God is looking at me, he's proud of me. He's proud of how much I hate God's enemies. And he actually wants me to destroy his enemies. He wants me to kill them. Saul was zealous. He was a zealot. And he, and he thought that the devotion to God demanded him do this. That was the level that he was at. Saul was, was, a, was, a, was a perfect performer. In fact, he was kind of even on a high priest track. Um, he was trained by a guy named Gamaliel, who I, I really, you know, it's, it's interesting. Saul didn't listen to Gamaliel. Gamaliel, early on, uh, Peter and John were brought before them and they're like, should we kill him? And Gamaliel was like, actually, let's li- let him live. And if this movement works, then, it, then it's probably from God. And Saul later says that Gamaliel trained them, but apparently he, he missed that message because Saul was like, let's just kill him. <laughs> let's kill all that belong to the way. He was a perfect performer. And his zeal was motivated by hate. It was fueled by pride, right? He hated, he hated those who were other, who were different than him. He was fueled by his own pride. I'm perfect. I'm blameless. And he, and he lived a life that demanded the suffering of, of his enemies. Beware of that kind of zeal, friends. I mean, let, let's pause and let's think about that for a second. Beware of the zeal that is motivated by hate. That others, people are, my students, uh, I work in campus ministry. My students regularly talk about othering, right? Putting someone in a category that is less than and, and disgusting. He was motivated by hate. He was fueled by his own pride. Why aren't they more like me? Why aren't they more, more holy like me, more perfect like me? And it, and, it's, it, and it leads to this demand of suffering. You are so unholy, you should, you should be killed You should be murdered. That's where Saul was. Beware of that kind of zeal, friends. But luckily for Saul, this is not how our Savior operates. He is not motivated by hate, fueled by pride, and demands suffering of his enemies. That's not how the Savior works. And so what prompted this transition from Saul? What prompted his conversion Saul was shown the living God. So Acts 9, 3 through 6, let's pick up the story. He just got letters. He just got permission. Yeah, go kill people. Uh, bring, them, bring them to Jerusalem so he can embarrass them. He just got the letters. Now, as he went on his way, verse 3, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There's a couple of really important notes in this passage of of very specific ways that Jesus is challenging Saul's paradigm. First off, Jesus was alive. That's That's bad if you're Saul. Because you have given yourself over to murdering people who uh, follow Jesus and the, the, the worst thing that could be true is that Jesus was alive because he claimed he was God. He uh, was killed for that belief. And the only proof 
that he is God is that he would be alive after you tried to kill him. So everything about Saul's paradigm so it, it is wrong because now, I mean, there's only two options for Saul, right? If, if Jesus is dead, then Saul is the ultimate zealous, zealot, perfect religious man, right? He's, he's on the exact right track. Or he's a murderer. An insolent opponent is actually what Saul eventually calls himself. An insolent opponent, an ignorant opponent, an enemy. And here Jesus is alive and he's talking to Saul. And we'll get to this in a minute, but this actually becomes really bad news for the Sanhedrin, the ones who are proving who gave him the letters. This is very bad because Saul was their number one thug. And all of a sudden Jesus is alive and he's talking to him. And I can't imagine what's going through Saul's mind. Like, oh, oh, shoot. Oh, crap. Uh, this is this is very bad because Saul would have wanted Jesus to stay dead for where he was in life. Second of all, Jesus was suffering. Note who, who Jesus says Saul is persecuting. It's very, there's so much wrapped into this. Why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting my churches? Jesus was such, there's such a beauty in in a union, in a relationship with Christ that when you suffer, he is suffering in you and with you. And so much so that who who Saul was actually persecuting was Jesus. Now, persecution uh, is, it, it's a word that we use a lot in a lot of different contexts that, that the root of it basically means to exhaust to death, to exhaust to death. Um, I, since I love uh, planet Earth and, and all things animal documentaries, I recently learned uh, cheetahs, uh, I can't remember if this is a planet Earth, it might, may or not be, so don't, don't quote me on that, but somewhere in some animal documentary, cheetahs need to catch their prey within like 10 seconds. So their, their goal isn't to exhaust, it's just to outrun. They want to outrun their, the antelopes or whatever, and they have to catch it in 10 seconds or their body overheats because they're, they're moving so fast. Lions are different. What lions do as a group is they persecute. They actually run it at, at a steady pace, but not too fast, not too slow, but a steady, sustainable pace for a long time, and they will just exhaust their prey over time. Wolves do this as well. They exhaust it. The, the, the prey has to keep running, but they, they can't stop for water because the, the lions over but they can't, they can't. And eventually they just tire out and the lions get an easy kill. And that's, that's actually a, a, a picture of persecution of exhausting of out of, of, of causing the, your, your prey, whoever you are just to die of exhaustion. And Jesus saying, this is what you're doing to me. Jesus was suffering. Why are you doing this to me? And it's such a personal message too, right? He's addressing Saul directly. This is this Jesus is entirely different. This king is entirely this the the zeal of Jesus is entirely different. And and Saul was reminded of that in this in this moment that Jesus was motivated by love, not by hate, but by love. He said, "I came so that they may have life and life to the full. 
for God's, for, for my dad so loved the world that he sent his only son, me, love. And Jesus was marked by humility, not by pride, not by arrogance. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came to serve. And he, Jesus, suffered for his enemies. The people who killed him, who murdered him, the people who put him on the cross, you know what Jesus said? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And in this interaction, Saul's reminded of all of this, that his zeal has been pointed in the wrong direction. And he was shown the living God, a different God who isn't full of hate and spite and arrogance, but a God of love and humility who suffers for his enemies. Saul's view of God was backwards and Saul had a lot to lose. Next, what was the point though? So that was the prompt, right? He was, he was shown the living God, actually blinded him and awesome bros that he have just like dumped him in Damascus in the city. And, uh, and God actually appears to Ananias. Uh, one of the guys that, that Saul was there to, to round up and probably kill appears to Ananias and says, hey, Ananias, you know about Saul? And, Saul, and Ananias was like, yeah, he's, he's probably here to kill me. And uh, God was like, actually, I want you to go and help him. Uh, and, and we'll get to uh, that. That's a part of the story that's actually the product. But, but God says, actually, I'm going to show him what kind of instrument I'm going to make him. And I need your help. So uh, the point here, I'll pick it up in, in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Ananias was exactly who Saul was looking for. Saul uh, could have actually, at that moment, Ananias would have known this, uh, sent him to, to prison, possibly even to death. Like at, when Ananias showed up, he had no idea how this was going to go. Saul was saved by one of his sufferers by one of the people that he was causing suffering in. Saul was saved by. Where would we be without Ananias? Isn't that kind of, uh, uh, spoiler alert, Paul does a lot of stuff. We have a lot of amazing theology. Where would we be without Ananias' obedience and courage? Right? Where would we be without Ananias being willing to put his life on the line with Saul? This is amazing. Something else to, to, to note that's pretty amazing about this story is that um, it's miraculous, of course. I mean, it, you know, to, to have a vision, to see Jesus in his glory form so much so that it blinds you for a few days and you've got scales falling off eyes and, and this, the, a voice coming from heaven. But note that as miraculous as Saul's conversion was, as supernatural, a human was still present. Something that, that's fascinating that you see through Acts and on all these amazing stories is that there is no substitute for the courage of a, of a faithful believer in someone's life. There's, there's always a God intended for humans to be involved in each other's conversions. <laughs> he intended it. We're, there is a human present. Ananias was present, right? He had this vision. And it wasn't until Ananias laid his hands on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that the, that the point really happened, Right? 
that he really received the spirit and he and it was like a re-envisioning right Saul was blinded but then given a new sight a new vision of of what Jesus was going to do and what Jesus could do but a human was present never ever devalue your presence in someone else's life you could be someone's Ananias to to a Saul right now it's not a guarantee that everyone that you are a faithful presence in is going to have the kind of impact that Paul did, but those people still are eternal souls and have and have value and have the image of of, of the bear the image of the Creator and and don't downplay your presence. It's just as miraculous for Ananias to be there as for the blinding to happen in Saul's life. Ananias was a miracle too. Where would we be without the courage and obedience of Ananias? I think of, uh, you know, I've got my own story uh, with a friend named, we'll call Bill. Bill lived a rebellious lifestyle for a long time. And uh, this was when I was in college. I didn't know what to do with Bill. I, I didn't, I, all I knew what to do was to say to him once, hey, like I know that you're not, not a huge fan of God, uh, but at any moment, whenever you want to talk, I would love to talk to you about God. Three years and three more rebellious years later, uh, Bill showed up at my door and said, hey, I'd love to talk about this. And uh, Bill's point of conversion, uh, one week we, we, we met at Denny's every week and I mentioned uh, Romans 10, which comes from uh, Paul's mouth himself. I uh, bear witness them that they have a, a zeal, uh, but not according to God's righteousness for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. They, they sought to establish their own. And I said, there's Jesus righteousness. And then there's, there's others. And I, and I think you really want to follow God, but God's righteousness is to let him love you, to be a sacrifice for you. And it wasn't this magical moment. He was like, yeah, I'll consider it. And the next week he came back. I was like, Hey, how, how'd it go? And he was like, I, I think I accepted it. And I was like, great. You want to pray just to confirm it? And out loud, we pray to confirm it. And so, you know, there was a bit of miraculous, but there was a, there was a person present. So don't, don't devalue that. Don't, don't devalue your Ananias-ness uh, with people. So Saul was saved by one of his sufferers. Lastly, the product. What happened? What did Saul become, right? Uh, Saul becomes zealous for the suffering savior. He doesn't become unzealous. His zeal actually just shifts to a new place. Acts 9, 15, 16. So this, this was the spoiler I was talking about in, in a, a second ago. Uh, but the Lord said to him, to, uh, and is God talking to Ananias about Saul? Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wow. That's an interesting line by God, isn't it? Saul's life actually is about to get a lot worse by all human standards. He was on, he was on, there was a ton of upward mobility. He was moving towards being, you know, maybe the high priest, at least in the Sanhedrin. He, uh, he, he was proving his worth, his value to the, to the community by being a persecutor of, of willing to fight for this faith. And, and, and he, he had probably plenty of, of money and comfort. He is going to be a chosen instrument before the Gentiles and kings. And by the way, he's not going to get in front of kings by a reputation that 
like a good reputation, he's going to be tried before kings, actually. His life will be in the king's hands in, in this story. And he will, God's going to show him how much he must suffer. That's not, we don't talk about that that often. This, this, this conversion story, honestly, is very challenging. Paul's life gets a lot worse. He gets shipwrecked. He gets stoned. He uh, several times actually gets beaten. Get put, he gets put in prison. His comfort level decreases by a lot after this. But what do we get? We see that Paul accepts when, when, when that moment, when, he, when the scales fall off, there's, like, there's this new man and Paul becomes zealous for Christ. He becomes zealous for Jesus. And he, and he gladly suffers. He, he loves to immediately in the, in the story, in the Acts story, he immediately begins proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. So much, and it was like probably really confusing because they're like, well, is, this a, like, is this like a satire? Like, are you, are you joking right now? Oh, but like you're really proving Jesus is the savior. Oh, we're like running out of arguments now because you, now Saul, now Paul is, is like the number one thug is now is like Jesus is real. What a testimony. And he becomes zealous for Jesus and he just starts getting stuff done because he recognizes the worth and value now, right? That he, he felt the personal mercies and grace of Jesus of not destroying him. Paul was Jesus' enemy. And, and now Jesus is like, I love you and I want to I use you for my kingdom. That's incredible. Paul was zealous for Christ. Um, he even says once, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1, to live is Christ. If I'm alive, it's going to be for Jesus. And to die is gain because I get to be with my Savior. And this... This was a killer for the Sanhedrin. Honestly, this, this is a, um, like I said, it's an amazing testimony of, of Jesus' resurrection because this is the, any name that could be attached to admitting Jesus' savior from, from the Jewish elite, it shouldn't be Saul. But he was zealous for Christ. And secondly, I love this. He was a picture of suffering for love. Um, Paul actually became a picture of, Saul and Paul, Saul became a picture of suffering for others. All the suffering he goes through, he actually says, I'm content, 2 Corinthians 12, I'm content with hardships and calamities and suffering. I'm content with it. Because he says, Jesus says to me that my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus revealing power through me, through me being vulnerable and weak. This is incredible. Saul regularly showed Jesus' willingness to be killed for his enemies. He was stoned several times, beaten and imprisoned, and he did it joyfully, excitedly to see what Jesus was going to do. He showed his suffering Savior's love. That's incredible. That's incredible. And and it makes me, I, I think a couple of questions that I have coming out of this conversion story is, what am I zealous for? Am I... And what's my zeal like? Does my zeal lead to hating others or to love? Do I just, can I, am I just so passionate about loving my enemies? Those ones that drive me crazy. Do I, do I intentionally go, okay, I love them. What, and, and, and no, this isn't, this isn't backing down from truth or from justice or whatever, but those that, that are dry, that, that make me the maddest, do I pray for them the most? Do I want them to know Jesus more? Saul was a murderer and Jesus transformed his life 
into zealous for showing the suffering Savior's love. That's what we want. And that's what Jesus has done for me. I, I was... Uh, I've been going to, to counseling for, for some, for some grief counseling. Um, my wife and I have experienced some death in our lives and, um, just realizing just how angry I used to be and what Jesus had done with that anger has turned it. And, and only Jesus can do this, right? I can't take credit for this. I used to be so angry at everybody else. And through the value that, that, that I feel from Jesus, the love that I feel, my, my anger actually isn't gone. It's now I'm, I'm mad at, at what sin does to people. It, it binds them. It, it makes them captives, makes them feel less than, than valuable. I'm mad because Satan is making people feel like they're not fearfully and wonderfully made. My, my zeal is turning to I can't, I, I, I'm so consumed with, with Jesus' compassion. Not all the time, by the way. It, it's, it's, it's gradual. <laughs> Jesus is transforming me, but I am watching him change me. What am I zealous for? What am I zealous for, for God's love? That's, that's the question that, we, that, that challenges me. You know, there's maybe more questions from this story, but that's the, that's the, the challenge for me. So what am I zealous for? And, and, and I hope you're, you're zealous with me for the for the love of our suffering savior for others that they would feel the love and compassion of jesus uh let me pray to close us jesus thank you for your love for your grace for the way that you um showed grace and mercy even to saul even to saul and um yeah, God, would you would you transform us into to people who love, who who are marked by humility, um, and who are willing to love our enemies? Um, yeah, Jesus, you, you said love your love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's so hard. I need your help. I fail in that all the time. Would you teach me how to do that and teach us how to do that? We love you, God, um, so much. In your name, Amen. Amen, family. Uh, good to be with you this morning. So what's my story? Well, I'm one of those guys that, um, just let you know this from Patrick, we grew up in church. Uh, We were there every Sunday, every Wednesday. We were there all the time. And for me growing up, I believed this. I believed that, you know, hey, just being good and doing good godly things would make me acceptable to God. But I remember one Sunday I was sitting there in church and this preacher was talking about this passage and he used this passage about the difference between a wheat and a tear. And you don't have to get into the whole passage, but but here, here was the gist of it. He says, on the outside, they look exactly the same. But when you crack them open, one has a seed and one is empty. And he asked me this question. Well, actually, he asked everybody, but it really hit home with me. He asked the question, are you a wheat or are you a tear? That morning, I'm telling you why, God cracked open my life. And I realized I was empty. I did. I had a working relationship with God that I did a lot of good things, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Him. And that morning, I stepped over the line from knowing to trusting.